Item number 6666. Containment class esoteric. Secondary class Thawmeal. Special containment procedures. The containment of SCP-6666 as well as SCP-2254, SCP-4812, and SCP-4840 are under the express supervision of Project Paragon and Applied Task Force HET, 1 Lance of Longinus. Due to the potential eschatological ramifications of SCP-6666, Special precautions must be taken to ensure SCP-6666 is not exposed to other entities contained by Project Paragon. The Paragon South America Forward Operating Site, ASAFOS, has been erected around the access shaft leading to SCP-6666. Under no circumstances are unauthorized personnel to be permitted access to SAFOS, and lethal force has been authorized against any personnel or groups who would attempt to breach the one kilometers exclusion zone surrounding SCP-6666. Periodically, fire teams must enter the super-exclusion area immediately surrounding SCP-6666 and use incendiary devices to slow the advance of SCP-6666's root structure. Personnel involved in these fire teams are allowed only 15 minutes of sustained exposure to the SCP-6666 root system. Any personnel directly observing SCP-6666 must do so from an aerial vehicle or from observation towers Alpha, Bravo, or Charlie. Tower Delta is for aerial vehicle launch only. Containment Memorandum no personnel are permitted to come within one kilometers of SCP-6666 at any time. All observation of SCP-6666-A must be done remotely. Description SCP-6666 is a colossal botanical entity located near 4 degrees... 7 degrees... In the Amazon rainforest, SCP-6666 is comprised of a wide trunk and many thousands of arching branches reaching away from the center mass like a tree, though SCP-6666 does not closely resemble any known species of similar biological structures. SCP-6666's trunk is roughly 380 mm in diameter, and the entire structure reaches a height of nearly 9.2 kilometers. SCP-6666 shows no signs of life at a cellular level. SCP-6666 is inverted, suspended by its considerable root system from the top of a massive lithospheric void in the crust of the Earth. This space, which extends a full 52 kilometers at its widest point and extends down to nearly 43 kilometers at its presumed deepest point, the terminal zero point, appears to have formed naturally between 450 and 560 million years ago. The walls of the cavern are covered almost entirely in the aforementioned roots of SCP-6666, leading researchers to believe that SCP-6666's root structure at one point extended down into the earth as opposed to up from it as it does now. The floor of the cavern is covered in a 200 meters thick cloud of toxic fog which flows from a jagged opening on the side of SCP-6666. The composition of this fog is unknown, 
living creatures who breed the substance suffer near-immediate loss of neurological function, and spectrographic analysis of the substance has been inconclusive. Notably, subjects exposed to this fog do not immediately die, though long-term exposure can lead to CNS depression, and eventually the stoppage of the heart and death. While SCP-6666's oldest growth roots are stationary, and despite the fact that SCP-6666 is biologically inert, sections of new growth are mobile and hostile. Roots that appear above ground will attempt to pull anything nearby them, man, animal, machine, or otherwise, into the cavern below through the soil. This effect can be temporarily mitigated by ceasing movement entirely. Personnel who find themselves closed within a section of this root system can quickly lie down and stay as still as possible until fire teams arrive to push the roots back. However, due to the rapid rate at which these roots grow, it is likely that a person attempting to avoid being seized by the root system could unintentionally find themselves swallowed and suffocated by the mass of roots growing over them if they are not reached by fire teams quickly enough. SCP-6666 is accessible via a large cylindrical stone access shaft located roughly 7.5 kilometers from the inverted base of the entity. A stairwell is built into the side of the shaft, though it ends just below the lip of the cavern ceiling in a manner indicating that it originally extended beyond that point. It is speculated that this stone structure was originally part of a tower, though the extreme heights involved make this hypothesis questionable. Radar scans of the bottom of the cavern indicate that the majority floor of the cavern is covered by a vast forest of tall, thick, dark trees. Surrounding the eastern edge of the forest and partially climbing up the walls of the cavern is an extensive network of ancient ruins that are partially covered by the toxic fog. SCP-6666-A is a vaguely humanoid entity partially emerging from the jagged opening in the side of SCP-6666. The entity is believed to be roughly 23 meters in height, with six arms and six eyes set in two columns of three each. Though much of the entity, including most of the left three arms and its body below the torso, is at least partially fused with the interior of SCP-6666 and cannot be entirely discerned. The entity appears to have numerous scars and burns across its skin. One of its six arms is significantly larger than the other five and is at least partially fused at the wrist with a large iron spear, roughly 18 meters in length, which it appears to have been using as leverage to pierce and open the side of SCP-6666. SCP-6666-A has no ears, nose, or mouth, but is capable of speech vocalizing in a currently unknown language. The sound produced by SCP-6666-A originates in the space where a mouth would be. SCP-6666-A will respond to stimuli, though rarely becomes distracted from its apparent state of permanent torment. SCP-6666-A seems to be capable of localized biological regeneration putting it in constant flux between the ambient destruction of its body as a result of exposure to the open cavity of SCP-6666 and its own reconstruction.
while SCP-6666-A has responded to Foundation-provided stimuli, it has thus far not attempted to communicate with any Foundation personnel or vehicles. It is unknown if SCP-6666-A is even aware that it is being communicated with. SCP-6666-A is, according to information gathered from interviews with SCP-4840-A, the Demon Hector, one of four primeval entities originating from a long-since-lost near-human civilization. SCP-6666-A, as well as SCP-4840-B, the Demon Lancelot, SCP-2254, the Demon Lahire, and a yet undiscovered fourth entity, the Demon Ogier, are potentially many millions of years old, if not older. SCP-6666-A, as well as SCP-6666 itself, predate all known human civilizations and possibly the existence of much of the Earth itself. Addendum 6666.1 Discovery Prehistoric information related to SCP-6666 is extremely scarce. Information gathered from several sources indicate that numerous populaces of humans existed in and around the SCP-6666 access point, but little remains of artifacts that would tie specific groups to the area. In his proposal to the Project Paragon senior leadership detailing the Foundation's current understanding of those groups, senior researcher Dr. Osman Isles described his team's findings as such. The existence of SCP-4008, the Wormwood Anomaly, has cast doubt on everything we know about our own history. As a weapon developed by a prehistorical SCP-1000 civilization, the Wormwood was capable of swallowing entire ethnic groups, their cities, their histories, and more, essentially erasing these civilizations from the historical record. Our study of the SCP-4008 anomaly continued to point back towards a source, a historical black hole, something that we could not even find buried trace of. The Amazon is not known for being kind to the records of those who have lived there. The soil and humidity grind stone and bone into dust, but in one place more than anywhere else we saw nothing. No trace of human civilization, no records of human habitation, nothing. And it is in this black hole that we knew we could find it, the root from which the wormwood grows. Atlas, the effort that predates Paragon, began mapping these forests 40 years ago, starting with the very edge of what we know and spiraling inward. Lost in the darkness beneath that canopy was a vacuum, one that pulled us towards it with unyielding force. Each meter of land we found absent of any trace of humans was another breadcrumb towards the open door of what we eventually found. The dark hole in the middle of history. We had puzzled over what tree could bear the fruit of the wormwood, and now we know. It was a dead one. Formal containment of SCP-6666 began with the creation of Project Paragon, after information gathered by the now-defunct Operation Atlas, as well as information taken from SCP-4840 and 4840-A, led to the discovery of the vertical access shaft into the void containing SCP-6666. 
Addendum 6666.2 Paragon Leadership Meeting Transcript The following is an excerpt from a recorded meeting of Project Paragon Director Shannon Lancaster, Director of Antediluvian Research Director Corin Malthus and SAFOS Chief of Staff Alexandro Freitas held on April 23, 2019. Internal Audio Recording Transcript In Attendance Paragon Director Shannon Lancaster Department of Antediluvian Research Director Corin Malthus Safos Chief Alexandro Freitas Director Lancaster I wanted to thank you in advance about being on top of our perimeter issue. Don't feel the need to have to contact my office if we need to do that again. Freitas The situation necessitated it. It's getting harder to push the growth back. We're cycling day and night shifts and it's helping, but only barely. How long do you expect before we'll need to move it again? Rough guess. Two weeks. That's not great. What about our alternate access proposal? On hold for the moment. All of our test sites have gotten bogged down almost immediately. It's a web of roots down there and they're tough. You'd be able to convince me they were made of stone. We'll reassess that once we have Crow and his team on site. Sorry to keep you waiting, Corin. Director Malthus. You're fine. I got a chance to read your report. What do you think? In general, everything below that pit is old. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions. We've only had drones in there a short time, but the mapping we've done so far has been really something. What about the floor level beneath the cloud? Or... Hard to say. What we've got so far has just been snippets and grainy radar returns for the structures around the outside. None of it is telling, but something else you might find interesting. None of it is South American. What do you mean? You know how we had been talking about looking for the missing civilizations out here? When we first got down there, our first guesses were that we would find them under that haze. But none of what we've seen even remotely matches anything built by human hands in the last 10,000 years. Whatever it is, it predates humanity as we currently understand it. As for whatever is in that forest, your guess is as good as mine. That's a start. Where do you think we go next? We need to gather more information. Building our viewing decks and staring at that thing all day isn't going to make it sprout answers. There's something going on down there, and we need more resources if we want to figure it out. Where do you want to start? The SCP-1000 file would be great. Are you familiar with SCP-2932? Adjacently. Why do you ask? Alexandra can probably tell you more. I think Safos grabbed a bunch of stuff from there a while back. The long and short of it is that there's some entity there who says that SCP-1000, the Children of the Night or the Bigfoot as it were, they use that place as a prison. I don't have clearance to know what all they've got locked up, but I do know that the magical core that keeps the lights on over there is this big red gem. The gremlin running around in there says that it's the heart of Titania, a goddess who pulled out her own heart to keep the Children of the Night safe. But... And I know this goes against everything we're taught as researchers. I've read enough Shakespeare to know that Titania isn't a Bigfoot god. It's a fairy god. You're not wrong. What about the tree? What do you know about it? It's dead. It's been dead for a long time by the looks of it. Everything about it looks dead, even at a cellular level, which would probably surprise our friends in Het, one or anyone else that has ever gotten caught up in those roots and pulled into the ground. There's no biological activity happening anywhere we've taken samples, but that smoke has got to be coming from somewhere, 
and the roots are still mobile, so your guess is as good as mine. Tell me more about the smoke. Well, sorry it's not really smoke, even though it looks like it. It's more like a really fine pollen. The reason we're having so much trouble with it is that it's a really potent neurotoxin. Any of it, even a speck, gets on you, in you, wherever. Your entire nervous system starts shutting down in seconds. We don't have a way to bring people back from long-term CNS depression, and while we've got pressurized suits that could potentially get our people in there, even the slightest exposure could be fatal if not treated immediately. We're still conducting materials testing to see if it can get through the poly shells on our insertion suits. But you do think we can get boots on the ground? We're working out the logistics right now. Director Malthus has been insistent that we won't really know the full story until we can get through that cloud. I understand. What about in the meantime? Is there anything in there we can get into? I'm working on it. Once we get the immediate area mapped, I should be able to come up with something. Those roots have been pulling stuff from all over this area down into the ground for what looks like ages. We'll get some clues there. All right, keep me in the loop there. Director Malthus, I can request the clearance you're looking for. What else do you need? We need to bring in somebody from the Eshu team. Corin, you know we can't do that. I know you think we can't, but I don't know what else to tell you, Director. There is a limit to what I can come up with. There just isn't a written history for any of this. They got lucky with whatever they came up with over in Europe, in that somebody had written something down about it. But out here, first-hand account is the best we've got. We need to talk to one of these things, get whatever we can out of them. They're going to know more about what happened here than what we've got right now. Dust and best guesses. If it were up to me, we would have interviewed a dozen fairies by now, but I don't have the resources to make that happen. Fine. I'll work on it. Anything else? We need to talk to Kane. You're joking. Kane? I'm not. Abel isn't very talkative, and Seth has been sitting on his rock for the last few million years. We need someone who has first-hand accounts of things that occurred before human beings even considered writing down their history. And there's only one person we know of who was both alive at the time and has a photographic memory. All right. I'll work on that too, is that all? One more thing you probably need to know. The agents we've had stationed in our observation platforms have been coming back with some mild psychological symptoms recently. General uncertainty, unease. A few have had trouble sleeping. Dr. Reese wanted to know about staff rotations the other day. We probably need to move ahead with that next personnel deployment. Let's do that. Director Crow will be coming on site next week. We need to make sure we're on top of things here. Fair enough. I'll make sure we have all of our ducks in a row for when the Director gets here. We'll take care of the personnel issue as well, Director. Thank you. Both of you keep me updated. Addendum 6666.3, Issue Entity Interview. Notice, certain elements of this interview may be redacted or altered per protocol 4000-Issue. The following is an interview with an honored and feathered representative within the Old Forest. The interview was conducted by Dr. Park Dae-sung during the mandated yearly observance of Order 05-4000-F26. Dr. Park, Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I won't keep you very long. Of course, of course, it is no trouble, not for me. Not often do I get many travelers this far off the road. This is a pleasant surprise. Can I make you some tea? 
How about some tobacco? We don't get much here, you know, but I have something of a stash saved up for just such an occasion. No, thank you. Unfortunately, today is strictly business. Very well, suit yourself. More for me. Now, what can I do for you? Some time ago, agents of ours discovered a strange structure, deep in a massive forest in the south. It had long since been abandoned, but we believe it is some kind of prison. Some of the markings there were similar to those we found in this place. Are you familiar? The avian interviewee readjusts nervously. Oh, well, yes, we always heard stories, you know. I never saw it for myself, but you heard stories. High walls of stinking black stone, screaming. I imagine it would be mostly reduced to rubble by now, though. It has been quite some time. Who are the children of the night? The winged collaborator's eyes grow wide. They stand suddenly and move to close the blinds over a nearby window. Forgive me if I've spoken out of turn. No, no, you did nothing wrong, just not something spoken of, really. At least not in pleasant company. What were they? Well, at first they were like you and like us. Children, like we all were. They woke up in the forests like we did, but not in the treetops. Up there we could see the stars, but down below the children of the night were in almost total darkness. We... They stayed down there, we figured they just preferred it that way. Where did they come from? I, I can't really say. It really was a long time ago, but there are probably some here who might know more or better. I tried to stay out of it. I had a shop in the old white city on the coast back in the before times. They were in the dark forests in the south, but you heard stories. They've got an artifact hung up in that prison. The jailer there calls it the heart of Titania. Do you know anything about... The common flightless friend gasps slightly, then reaches into a pocket and produces a locket. They stare at it briefly. What can you tell me about this Titania? We called her Ea. Ah, the sleeper in the stars. On a dark night, they said you could feel her breathing over the whole world. She was a god of starlight, more wonderful than anything that walked the Earth. The beaked companion puts away the locket. We loved Titania more than any other, even more than Gaia herself. She was so beautiful. The entity in this prison, it calls itself Caspan. Do you know anything about this entity? They shudder. Yes, Caspan the Dreamweaver is what he was called. Caspan was an artist once. He could tell stories in dreams and bring the dreams themselves to life. When they came for him, he begged them for his life and his name. And the Night Stalkers let him. Let him keep both. Night Stalkers? You mean the Children of the Night? Why would they have come for him? They, the Children of the Night were curious creatures. They sat under the pitch dark of the tall trees in their wide circles and would hum these sad little songs together, swaying in unison. We, in our arrogance, I suppose we didn't see them as any more than what we wanted to see. Sad little ground dwellers, cleaning up the scraps and slinking around the darkness beneath the canopy. When they sang their miserable little songs to the plants, we didn't care to see the plants begin to bend to the song. We didn't want to see the bodies hung in the branches, so we didn't see them. First it was travellers who started going missing, and then our own. 
We had ignored them for so long, by the time we started paying them any attention, they had turned foul. And what about Caspin? He was afraid, I believe. They came for him and took him down into the dark and made him teach them things, terrible things. They were curious, the children of the night, and over time that curiosity took a... Excuse me, I'm sorry. It's all right, I don't mean to push. No, it's quite all right. Nobody here really talks about it anymore, and so much gets lost to time. Their curiosity was like our own at first. But while we wondered with delight at the stars in the sky, the children of the night had only the dark to comfort them, and in time their curiosities took a cruel turn. They weren't able to dream, you know, not like you or I, but they wanted to. So they took Caspan the Dreamweaver into the dark and forced him to teach them how. But they couldn't, you understand. They aren't like us. So when Caspan tried to teach them, he... Whatever he saw there in the dark, whatever horror they had come to know while they were singing their queer little songs, I cannot imagine. When afterwards they asked him to betray us, he did so without question. What was the betrayal? They wanted to make a wish. He led them to Titania and let them make their wish. They say that when the Night Stalkers came, they came in long rows, single file, shuffling silently through the dark woods. They found our blessed Titania exactly where he had told them she would be, and with his help they, they made their wish. What was the wish? Classified data expunged. See addendum 6666.13 for more information. We can conclude if you'd like. I, I think that's for the best. I'm sorry, it's just... it's just unforgivable. Interview concludes. Addendum 6666.4 SCP-073 interview. The following is an interview with SCP-073. The interview was conducted by SCPF Western Regional Command Director, Sophia Light. SCP-073. Director Light, what a surprise this is. Here I had thought you didn't have sufficient time for little Class 3S like me anymore. Cheeky Kane, but it's Sophia, please. Director Light was my father. Very well, Sophia. This is an unusual setting for the two of us. What is the occasion? Are you familiar with Project Paragon? Oh, only what they tell me, which is little in this case. Very hush-hush. As many secrets as you've all had me keep, and still some you choose to squirrel away. Aye, you know how it goes. Anyway, we've been following some anomalous activity over the last few years that has begun to escalate, and I'm hoping you might be able to answer some questions I have about it. Hmm. You know, it occurs to me, with the amount of anomalous activity you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, after a while, wouldn't it just start to feel like... activity? You can't imagine. Perhaps not, but I will strive to answer your questions as best I can, though I fear for what inquiries you might have if you're forced to come to me to resolve them. I need to know what you know about the Children of the Night. Silence. The Children of the Night. I have not heard that name in a long, long time. That is an old secret, Sophia. How did you stumble over it? We've had them classified for a long time now. The few who remain. A short video of one seen in the United States is something of a fascination for amateur cryptozoologists. 
and while we've got them on the books they've eluded capture up until now. Their motives and origins remain a mystery to us. It's like their entire history had been swallowed up. Yes, yes, that was probably the point. Please, go on. Where to begin? The Children of the Night. First of all, to be clear, I have never encountered them myself. They only came to my side of the world once in the long ago, but I was otherwise occupied at the time. They came at the behest of their masters, looking for someone who had committed a terrible sin. The first sin, in fact. Is this related to the entity called Asem? Director Light, you know more than you're letting on up. I usually do. Continue. Yes, Adam El Asem was my father and Lilith our mother. Asim was the first man, so technically speaking we are all his children. But my brothers and I came first. I was the eldest, and then Abel, and then our youngest. Apologies, it's been some time. The sin that Asim committed, yes, he took something from a place that he should not have gone, and in response the Children of the Night came across the sea to bring him to justice for it. What happened to him? I can't say for certain. Asim had pulled a star from the sky and put it on his iron crown. And what happened afterwards? My family was not the same afterwards. I was driven out. Abel was killed, and our youngest brother disappeared. His kingdom was abandoned, save for Asim. And all I ever heard was that the children of the night came for him. And when they left, he was gone. Why are they called the children of the night? In contrast to us, I imagine, we, humanity as a whole, were born under the brilliant sun of my father. We were different then, radiant beings, still aglow in that magnificent light. We have been reduced slightly, since our separation from it, gestures across his body. But we are still now what we were then, even if we, as a whole, don't enjoy the same long life we once did. So we were the children of the sun. Was everyone in Autopalpadopolis a child of the sun? What did you say? Autopalpadopolis. You're familiar with it? That city. I know you thought it would perhaps surprise me to learn that you know of it at all, and it has. But... No, they weren't all like us. Other beings were there as well, greater and more terrible than I by far, but none greater or more magnificent than my father. It was under his protection that our people and the secrets there were kept safe. When he was gone, the city diminished and those secrets became vulnerable. There were those who remained and worked diligently to find a way to protect them, and machinations in place to make sure they stayed hidden. But if they have become exposed again... Yes, I see now why you have come to me. I'm not sure I understand. You must understand. The children of the night are not like you or me, or even the fair folk across the sea. What do you mean? I only know what I've heard. Like I said, I wasn't present when much of this took place. They say that when the children of the night were first born, they had all the curiosity of children. And when the starlight of their masters was not sufficient to satisfy their curious desires, they found darker gods to pray to. Those gods demanded their pound of flesh in exchange for the powers required to fulfill the children of the night's desires. And that pound would come from the history of mankind. As they would swarm a civilization and pull it into the earth, all record of it would cease to be. And this would be their payment. You mentioned that before as well. Who were their masters? Ah, well it was the fairies who made them. Or rather who wished for them. Or so I'm told. 
The fairies worshipped Titania, the goddess of starlight and wishes, and when my father, my father was beautiful and magnificent certainly, but a stray request by a child set a seed of envy in his heart, and his light was turned towards a singular desire, one that ended in the very first sin. That sin was so blasphemous to the fairies, they had no choice but to respond. So the fairies brought them into existence to kill your father? Perhaps, or perhaps to protect themselves. The children of the stars saw my father's light rising in the east and prayed to Titania for salvation. I do not know what they prayed for or what it cost them, but it was not long after that voyagers began telling tales of tall figures huddled just beyond the dark tree line on those far shores. In time they came for the world of men, but not before they turned on their masters as well. They are destroyers, and if they find prominence in this world again, they will not rest until they drag us back into the earth. They are not something you can simply kill with tanks and guns. They are a divine aberration. What happened to them? You've heard of the Day of Flowers? Maybe not. I was far away from the lands of men then, but every flower on the planet bloomed at once, and then the rains began to fall. Once the flood waters had settled, years later, there was little left, and the children of the night were gone. This is a lot to take in, but it's valuable information. Thank you. I wish I had more to offer, but alas, my absence throughout much of that ancient history of man puts me at a distinct disadvantage here. I understand. How old are you, Cain? Ha, ah, Sophia, honestly, I can't tell you. I've long since lost track. The years slip by and each lifetime becomes just another drop in an increasingly expansive ocean of memories. In ages past, I have lived countless other lives, by other names in other places. It is impossible to say. Will you go on forever? My longevity has persisted as a blessing from my father, but it will not last forever. The most I can hope to accomplish is to correct our wrongs, such as they are, before I too slip quietly into the darkness. Well, if you think of anything else, please let me... Wait. Pardon? All right. This is going to sound like a long shot, but there may be someone else you can speak to. Who? There was this old sorcerer who served the ancient Devite House of Malidrog. I presume if you have found Auda Pulpadopolis, you have no doubt uncovered some truths about the old kingdoms of mortal men. We have? Good. Methuselah was the name of this sorcerer. Learned from a dying Deva queen how to prolong his life with blood magic. He's been poking around history ever since appearing in places of power, or near them. I don't know if he was ever welcome into the House of Apollyon, where the true secrets of the time would have been discussed. But I don't doubt for a second that he would have attempted to hang around them, peddling his wares. He has delusions of grandeur, but he is certainly capable of some very real magic. Where do you think this person would be? I'm not certain. He would be very old by now. Hundreds of thousands of years, certainly. I'm not sure what effect that would have on his mind, but he would have been there. He might know more about your children of the night. I see. Kane, your memory is photographic, isn't it? It is. Do you think you could remember this Methuselah if you saw his face? Of course. Director Light produces her mobile terminal. After a moment, she turns it to show SCP-073. Is this him? It is. Where did you get that picture? If you can believe it, he's in another wing of this site. Fortuitous for you, Sophia. 
Yes, I would talk to that man where I you. He is not quite as old as I am, but he was present for things I was not. His insight should be invaluable to you. It is probably worth asking you whether or not Abel would... Holds up a hand. I can stop you there. My brother... My brother has suffered these many years. He is angry, as I am sure you well know, and would be wholly uninterested in questions of history, even if he had been there to witness them. But moreover, my brother has been confined to that sarcophagus for a long, long time. Even if he was willing to offer you insight, I do not think he would have any to give. Thank you, Kane. This has been very helpful. Think nothing of it. Although... Yes? If it is not too much to inquire, in Oldapopadopolis you might have found a... a man. Perhaps just one man, or even... or even his remains. If you... if you have found this man, perhaps you could let me know. I just... there was myself and Abel, but our youngest brother. It has just been such a long time, and I can't help but wonder if I could... I'm sorry, Kane. You know I wouldn't be able to do that even if I wanted to. Ah, yes, of course, I... I understand. I would have quite liked to have... to have apologized to him, my little brother. Ah, but we all have regrets, yes. Addendum 6666.5, excerpt from the Journal of Winston J. Connington. The following is an excerpt taken from the Journal of Winston J. Connington, an 18th century English pararchaeologist and occultist who gathered a number of items and writings that reference antediluvian events or persons in a collection called the Connington Set. Additional excerpts from this document are available in Addendum 4812.1. In my great effort to research those most ancient and forgotten places of our history, I have come across several references to an old kingdom of men, one that existed long before the kingdoms of Europe or of the Arabs, perhaps older even than Noah and the Great Flood itself. Many of these I have chronicled elsewhere, but perhaps most elusive is a parable written by an individual who titled himself as Gaum of Nod, which I believe details events that took place near the end of the rule of those ancient Sky Kings. Elsewhere in my writing, I have detailed the tales of the four knights of House Apollyon, but never was their origin made evident to me, and yet. Now I have acquired a piece of parchment, preserved in salt, that was given to me by the Sultan Mustafa III of the Ottoman. The text he described as illegible is written in the same crude cipher as other pieces I have found in similar ancient writings. The words on the page are faint from the years, but with the aid of my servant Gerhard we believe to have accurately transcribed the words here. The only recreation of Gom of Nod's parable left on this earth and the words of Gom, son of Nod, speak do I thus of these tales from the older world. Once there was a warrior, fair and strong, with eyes of green and auburn hair. His laughter was like rolling waves and his rage was like a thunderclap. He was loved far and wide, and those who beheld him marveled at his craftsmanship, saying, Surely this is the one descended first from Asim, who lived in ages past. Beloved was he above all others, but more so by his king, the lord of hosts and sovereign of the skies. In the king's time of greatest need, he called upon the warrior and his power, and the warrior answered by sword or until the king's enemies had been driven to dust or his 
In return for his service, the king offered his champion a single favor, saying thus, For you, champion of champions, let my voice be clear. Heaven and earth are no boundary, nor life and death a barrier. Whatsoever you desire, it will be yours. And saith the warrior, Lord of hosts, beloved among sovereigns, I beg only your service, that I may serve you from this day until the last days of men, and that I may give you my heart, without reservation, to keep in your presence until the sun goes out, saith the king, so it shall be forevermore. You will serve me, most loyal and noble of knights. Your spear shall be my spear, and your voice shall be my voice. Your heart will be mine forever, and when your service has ended, you will rest at my side in the halls of my fathers. Then did that great warrior serve his king through text damaged. It came then that the king, old though he had grown, set his sights for a final conquest across the sea. After, did a sickness sweep over those knights of the king, and a profanity was put into them. Driven by madness and agony, one by one they cried out to dark and fell gods for comfort from their tribulation. And one by one they succumbed to the evil put in them. All that is, but the great champion. He had given his heart to his king, and though his king now slept in the darkest mire of the sea, his loyalty did not waver. He came before the king's son, misshapen and altered, and cried out to him, saying, My lord, my lord, save me, please. Take pity on my condition. In remembrance of the service I have given freely to your father and your house these many years, free me from this wickedness, that I might serve you again. Loyally have you served my house, but this abomination you have become diminishes the noble halls of my father. While this sickness possesses you, you may not reside here in this sacred place, nor may you call yourself a warrior of my house. Turn from the evil god of our foe and find the dark root from which this terror flowers. Cut it down, see its fell shepherds driven before you and succumb not to these vile alterations. Do this, and the halls of my house will open to you again. If loyalty to my father you have left in your wretched heart, then waste no time. Go and seek your salvation in the black forest beyond the sea, where mine father did seal our doom. For no such salvation remains for us but to excise this dread Titania from its soil. Do this, and regain your honor. Cursing and lamenting this tragedy, the warrior fled from those high halls like a writhing beast, a hurricane of torment and terror, and the people of his lord's kingdom wept and gnashed their teeth when they saw what had become of him who once stood by their king's side. The warrior passed then from sight and mind, and his name was never again uttered in that ancient land. When the king's son was broken by the tool of his enemy and fell into darkness, his crown lost, he cursed his foe and the knights of his father, but saved his vilest rebuke for that great champion of his house in the darkness he had. Addendum 6666.6 .6. Remote Reconnaissance Log 
The following is a video transcript of an unmanned exploration attempt into the cavern below SCP-6666. The drone in question, a Foundation issue 4.5 kilograms of an octocopter codenamed Hero, had an 8-hour battery life and was capable of operating at distances of up to 23 kilometers. Hero was capable of operating autonomously outside of its control range using a modified Artificially Intelligent Conscript Module, or AIC, codenamed Valor. The Valor module is not itself considered sentient, but is capable of base-level problem-solving and crisis resolution, as well as more complex mission objectives. The Hero drone was also equipped with a small remote quadcopter, codenamed Champion, for insertion into areas Hero could not access due to its considerable size. Project Paragon, Exploratory Vehicle Reconnaissance Log. MKD's seventh drone Hero rests on the Delta Tower Observatory platform prior to liftoff. Engineers perform a pre-flight inspection of Hero prior to the start of the mission. After a short period of time, Hero is given a green light and lifts off from the platform. Turning north, Hero approaches SCP-6666. As Hero's sensors fully come online, SCP-6666 is visible in center frame. As Hero closes on SCP-6666, a hull-mounted flood lamp activates. Hero continues approaching until SCP-6666 encompasses the entire frame, and then begins to ascend slightly. The distant sound of SCP-6666-A thrashing and roaring is audible over the din of Hero's rotors. After 20 minutes, SCP-6666-A comes into frame. The entity is trapped, halfway sunken into the flesh of SCP-6666, as it has done during every previous exploratory mission SCP-6666-A ignores the drone completely, seemingly single-mindedly fixed on attempting to free itself from SCP-6666. Thick clouds of green smoke pour out from SCP-6666, which burn and blister SCP-6666-A's skin. The entity appears to be in immense pain and continues to attack SCP-6666 with the long metallic spear fixed to its uppermost right arm. After 30 minutes of observation, Hero begins to descend away from SCP-6666-A and SCP-6666. Camera tilts to observe the ground below, which is far out of the range of observation tower spotlights and in total darkness. Night vision cameras mounted on Hero return inconclusive footage. Hero activates several other hull-mounted spotlights as it continues to descend. Reaching its intended elevation, Hero turns east towards the closest wall of the cavern and proceeds forward. After another 21 minutes of flight, Hero moves out of range of its controller and the Valor module takes over control of the vehicle. Shortly thereafter, the north wall of the cavern comes into view. The surface consists mostly of rock and soil, with the large, snaking roots of SCP-6666 covering considerable sections of the wall. Much of the wall is obscured by the green haze emanating from SCP-6666, but as Hero approaches, the smoke is blown away and structures become visible in the darkness. 
Immediately in front of Hero is a large stone structure in a significant state of ruin. Rubble and debris cover the ground around the main structure and two large cylindrical stone ruins, believed to have once been towers, lie a short distance away. The layout of the debris and the condition of the structure indicate that at some point in the past the entire building fell a considerable distance, and then came to rest, though not at such a speed as would obliterate the stone walls themselves. Hero turns towards the center of the cavern, and as the smoke begins to dissipate in the immediate area, additional structures appear. The ruins in the area around Hero are an unusual mix of buildings, monuments, equipment, and other items, with no discernible single point of origin. Present are the ruins of a large stone religious structure bearing unusual symbolism on the exterior. Long wooden row houses with thatched roofs and strange fleshy membranes stretch tightly over large arched supports that appear to be bones. The ground is littered with scattered tools, cookware, carts, weapons, and papers. A light breeze picks up, and many of the items on the ground begin sliding down the rocky towards the bottom of the cavern. Hero gains a small amount of altitude and follows the rocky slope further down. Below, broken and collapsed houses become visible, as do a crude storehouse and a collapsed grain mill. Despite the apparent age of much of the architecture, the ruins are in unusually good condition. Hero lowers itself enough to capture an image of a rolled piece of leather with words written in black ink on its exterior. The text has clearly not faded. The drone turns east and begins tracking further down the slope towards a more clear section of land. Hero's infrared camera comes online and turns back towards the wall of the cavern, where it is now clear that the entire wall and slope of the cavern is covered with tens of thousands of buildings, as far as the eye can see. Many of these structures, including a nearby large stone statue of a headless stag, are intertwined with the roots of SCP-6666 and are being slowly pulled, seemingly, into the earth itself. As Hero passes over numerous other buildings, it passes one crumbled house and a life-form identifier alarm activates. Valor takes Hero down closer to the house and lands, launching the Champion Light Recon quadcopter to further investigate the space. Champion leaves Hero and enters the collapsed house, carefully avoiding the fallen debris. As Champion reaches the back of the building, which Hero could see through a partially collapsed roof, it observes the severely emaciated body of a small humanoid figure. The figure is curled into the fetal position, its face in its hand, and its entire body turned into the corner. Champion runs thermal and electrochemical scans on the figure, which is clad simply in a thin cloth dress and determines the figure is fully deceased, showing no signs of life. Champion briefly assesses the remainder of the ruined building and then leaves through the open roof. Instead of returning to Hero, Champion enters several other nearby structures to assess their interiors. In a building that appears to have at one point held draft animals, Champion discovers the likewise emaciated corpses of several horses, many of whom are covered in large puncture wounds. The faces of the animals, distorted as they are by the condition of their bodies, are very clearly twisted in a look of fear or panic. 
At the back of the structure is the body of a single canine, its nails and paws worn down nearly to the bone and desperate marks in the wooden cladding of the rear door to the structure. Champion leaves the structure and rejoins with Hero. Hero launches again and turns west away from the rock wall of the cavern and in the direction of SCP-6666 at the lights of the observation towers almost entirely blocked by the cloud above and around Hero. The drone follows the slope of the cavern down, passing numerous individual ruined structures, until it reaches a sharp line in the architectural wreckage where the ruins abruptly end. The rocky slope continues down, but no other structures are visible through the smog. Hero continues its approach, until another life form identifier alarm activates. Hero's primary camera narrows in on another larger humanoid figure sprawled on the rocky ground below. This figure is likewise emaciated and appears to have been crawling up the slope when it perished. As Hero settles over the figure and more of the smog is blown away by its rotors, additional alarms sound as Valor detects additional life forms. Hero's primary camera pans around and sees dozens of other similar humanoid figures face down on the slope and unmoving, but all appearing to have been attempting to crawl up it. As Hero moves over the additional corpses further down the slope, the full extent of the number of bodies is revealed. While onboard counting completed by Valor is hampered by the extremely low lighting and thick fog, Hero observes many hundreds of thousands of emaciated humanoid corpses, all appearing to have been crawling away from something at the bottom of the slope. The corpses range in size from apparent children to full adults with a mix of masculine and feminine features, as well as some animals and other indistinct lifeforms with both humanoid and animal characteristics. As Hero continues counting the corpses over the long barren slope, Champion dismounts from its parent drone and approaches the figures. As it grows close, the condition of the body becomes clear. Each is covered in a fine layer of pale green residue from the cloud, and each displays signs that the figures were crawling or running away from something behind them, with self-defense injuries inflicted on those around them in what was seemingly a desperate attempt to flee. The faces of all those visible show signs of shock and panic, though many lay on the ground in the fetal position, covering their faces with their hands. Champion returns to Hero, who has counted approximately 283,824 bodies in an area roughly 0.87 kilometers. As Hero continues down the slope, the density of corpses increases until the drone reaches the cavern floor, at which point the number and density of bodies begins to thin out. Hero continues forward towards the center of the cavern but is stopped by a proximity alarm. All external floodlights turn to face forward, where a line of towering dark trees 100 meters tall extend away from Hero in both directions roughly four in front of the drone. The underlayer of trees, though shorter and thinner than the larger bodies, create a dense and seemingly impenetrable layer of plant life that Hero cannot enter. Champion once again launches from the back of Hero, rising slightly and carefully entering the forest. While Champion is itself equipped with powerful spotlights, the incredibly dense trees negate much of their usefulness. As Champion continues into the forest, 
Hero lands outside the tree line to conserve battery, which has fallen to 62%. As any dip below 55% would warrant an immediate return to base, Valor adjusts the mission plan to return to Delta Tower immediately after Champion finishes its reconnaissance. After three minutes navigating the dense forest, Champion reports an instrument error. Although the drone has not performed any unusual course corrections, it now believes it is flying inverted and moving laterally to the south at a rapid rate of speed. The drone attempts to correct its pitch, but strikes a tree and falls. A loud, high-pitched, yowling sound is heard, and then Champion comes to rest. Although its instruments continue to function, its primary camera is destroyed in the impact. Champion begins to chime its recovery tone, which is heard by Hero's onboard microphone. Over the course of the following five minutes, Hero continues to collect data, as Champion's recovery tone continues to chime. Five minutes and 16 seconds after impacting the ground, Champion's recovery chime begins to grow increasingly faint, as if moving away from Hero. However, the drone's onboard sensors report no movement whatsoever. This continues for an additional 8 minutes and 47 seconds, after which Champion's recovery chime can no longer be detected by Hero. Hero waits the predetermined 30 minutes for Champion's recovery. After the period elapses with Champion now only reporting telemetry data, Hero begins to ascend again towards Delta Tower. As Hero rises over 6 kilometers, it passes out of Champion's data relay range and the quadcopter is no longer detected. One hour and nine minutes later, after two brief stops to gather additional telemetry data, Hero lands on the platform at Delta Tower.